Exodus chapter 33. We find Moses, well, in the type of situation that Moses often felt, found himself in. He's in a position where he's been hearing from God. He's been up on the mountain. He's received God's instructions. He's received God's commands. But as he was up on the mountain, the children of Israel became impatient. The children of Israel decided they needed a different God. Obviously, the worship practices and the culture of Egypt had become greatly ingrained in the children of Israel. And so they have Aaron make them a golden calf. They begin to dance. They begin to have an immoral party. And as they're celebrating and having this party, Moses finds out what's going on. He comes down from the mountain. He breaks the Ten Commandments. A lot of the people are killed as a result. Moses has to beg with God that he not destroy the people, that he spare the nation of Israel. He begs God to remember his promises. He finally tells God in verse 32 of chapter 32 that um, if he's willing to forgive them, he can blot Moses out of his book. He's willing to trade his life for the life of the nation of Israel. And so he has dealt with this. God has removed himself from the camp, and as we begin chapter 33, let's just begin reading in the introduction this morning. The heart of the message is going to come later in the chapter, but I want us to get the full context here because it's going to be extremely important to the message. Begin reading in verse number one. And the Lord said unto Moses, depart and go up hence, thou and the people which thou hast brought up out of the land of Egypt, unto the land which I swear unto Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, Unto thy seed will I give it, and I will send an angel before thee, and I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in the midst of thee. Notice this statement, I will not go up in the midst of thee, for thou art a stiff-necked people, lest I consume thee in the way. And when the morning, sorry, and when the people heard these evil tidings, they mourned, and no man did put on his ornaments. And the Lord said unto Moses, Say unto the children of Israel, Ye are a stiff-necked people. I will come up into the midst of thee in a moment and consume thee. Therefore now put off thy ornaments from thee, that I may know what to do unto thee. And the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments. By the Mount Horeb, this is similar to putting on sackcloth and ashes. They're showing, they're giving an outward sign that they are mourning over their sin. And in verse number seven, and Moses took the tabernacle and pitched it without the camp afar off. Notice where Moses puts this tabernacle, this tent. He pitched it without the camp afar off from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of the congregation. And it came to pass that everyone which sought the Lord went out unto the tabernacle of the congregation, which was without the camp. And it came to pass when Moses went out unto the tabernacle that all the people rose up and stood every man at his tent door and looked after Moses until he was gone into the tabernacle. 
And it came to pass, as Moses entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. And all the people saw the cloudy pillar and stood at the tabernacle door. And all the people rose up and worshipped every man in his tent door. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. And Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, If I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight and consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, my presence shall go with thee and I will give thee rest. And he said unto him, if thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you again. We ask that you would speak to us through your word. Lord, I pray that you would confess, uh, that you would um, reveal to us any sin that needs to be confessed, anything that needs to be dealt with this morning. Lord, I pray that you would help each one of us to have a deeper desire to walk with you, a deeper desire to know you, and Lord, to have a fellowship, each one of us individually, like we've never known you before. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts now. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to have tender hearts to respond to your word. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So we, as we just read in this passage, we see God tells the children of Israel that he will send his angel before them. They get to go to the promised land. They get to have the blessings of the promised land, but he will not be in their midst. They get to keep the promises, but they lose his presence in their midst. Why is that? Verse 3, he says, lest I consume thee in the way. In other words, if I go with you, I'm going to kill you. Any of us ever felt that way? You know what? I want to be closer to God, but if I talk to him, he just might, I'm just so wicked. You just feel so guilty about your sin. And this was the literal case for the children of Israel. God was going to come in their midst, and he was going to smite them. He was going to consume them. They were going to be destroyed. So what does Moses do? Moses takes um, the tabernacle, the tent where he would meet with God, and he takes it outside of the camp afar off. I think it's also interesting that while God moves his presence outside of the camp, while Moses moves the tabernacle outside of the camp, anyone who wants to see God, can come outside the camp. Uh, That just really struck me last night. Actually, I've been studying this passage all week, but last night it really struck me that anyone was welcomed outside the camp. 
God said, I'm not coming in because if I come in, I'm going to destroy you. But you can come out to me. God was there the whole time, like the song, Lord, I just sang. He was there all the time. He removed his presence from the midst of the camp, but anyone could go out and could meet with God. Verse 11 says that Moses went in and he was meeting with God. And it says in verse 11 that Moses talked to God. The Lord, actually, it says, spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. He was carrying on a conversation with Moses just like you and I would carry on a conversation. He's carrying on a very personal conversation with God. Yet we find something in verse number 13 especially. This is where the heart of the message is today. Beginning in verse number 13, we find something pretty amazing here. Moses is having a conversation with God, just like you and I would talk to a friend. And in verse 13, Moses gives a request. He gives a prayer to the Lord. And that's our first point today is the prayer. Look at Moses' prayer. He said, I pray thee, If I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. Look at the heart of his request here. Show me now thy way. Moses had a desire to know God's way. To see God's way. This this word show, I mean, it's literally show me, let me see it. But look what he's looking for. He's looking for God's way. He didn't ask for the way to the promised land. He didn't say, give me directions to the promised land and I'll know you. I believe the heart of what he's asking here is, God, let me hear from you. I need to hear from you. This word way, the Hebrew is direct. Get it? Direct. Our English word, direction. He was looking for direction. He was looking for God's way. He was looking for God's path. If I understand this verse correctly, what he was asking for is, God, I want to know your way. I don't want just directions into the promised land. I want to know your way. Now think about this for a moment. Where do we find the ways of God? We find God's ways in his word. And the more we understand the ways of God, the more we understand how God works, whether we're reading his law, whether we're reading the the poetic books, whether we're reading the gospels and we're learning about Jesus, whether we're, we're reading the epistles that were written to the churches, regardless of where we're reading, as we read God's word, we start understanding his ways. And look what Moses said, show me your way that I may know thee. He's talking to him face to face. He's talking to God friend to friend. I've heard people criticize the song, what a friend we have in Jesus. It's not biblical. Well, pardon me, Exodus 33 must not be biblical. Moses found a friend in God. And while he's having this friendly conversation with God, He wants more. The conversation he's having with God is not enough. Show me your way. 
I think it's interesting that the man who's going to be writing down Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the one who's going to be pinning the law of God is the man who's asking, God, show me your way. Because what was the law? The law was God's way for his people Israel. And Moses understands, if you'll start showing me your way, I'll know you. Matthew Henry said, Divine direction is one of the best evidences of divine favor. God's good work in us is the surest discovery of his good will towards us. Every one of us have the same need that Moses had. Here Moses is having, he has a need to hear from God. And this needs to be the prayer of all of our hearts. Lord, show me your way so that I can know you. This was the desire of Paul, as he said in Philippians 3.10, that I may know him. Every one of us need to get into God's word on a daily basis and ask the Lord to speak to us. Pray as the psalmist did in Psalm 119, open thou mine eyes that I might behold wondrous things out of thy law. We understand Jesus said that the The Jews were looking in the Old Testament and they were studying the law. Of course, they were studying the commentaries, but Jesus, talking about the Old Testament scriptures, said, these are they which testify of me. When we read the scriptures, we should ask God to show us Jesus, to let us meet Jesus, whether we're reading in Exodus or Deuteronomy or in the Gospel of John, that we're looking for Jesus. But as we spend time in his word, we're able to see God's ways, and we're able to know him better. So we find first the prayer, which is to meet the need of hearing from God. Show me thy way that I may know thee. But we have an answer from God in verse number 14. In verse number 14, we find the presence In verse 13, we had the prayer. In verse 14, the presence. Look what God says to him. And he said, my presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. Moses had a need, and the children of Israel desperately had a need for God's presence. They needed God's presence, and God has already told them, I'm not going to go up in the midst of you. But now he tells Moses, my presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. Something we need to understand as we get here and we talk about this subject of the presence of God is that God is omnipresent. He is an omnipresent God, meaning he is everywhere at all times. Now, that's really hard for my brain to understand that. I know geography somewhat. My dad's a big geography buff. I was raised in his house as a little kid when I started stamp collecting, (coughs) stamp collecting turned into a geography lesson because I had stamps from Kuwait. Actually, um, I had written a letter to the Postmaster General of Kuwait, and I got a letter in the mail from him the day, I think it was the day after Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait. I got the letter from the Postmaster General. That was world history coming alive in my mailbox, I tell you. I remember picking that letter up from the post office as a kid. But we'd go home and my dad would draw, he'd look at a a world map and he'd draw a big picture of 
I remember Kuwait. He drew out the country of Kuwait, and I colored it, and I remember, you know, looking, there's the capital. I don't remember what the capital is at this moment, but that was something I had to learn. And that went in my stamp book before all my stamps from Kuwait and from the letter from the Postmaster General. What was it? There was that picture. I've been to the Philippines. I've been to China. I've been to Romania and Ghana, West Africa. And I know that I cannot be in two places at the same time. When I am in Africa, I am not here. Amen? I, that would be weird. Very weird. Last time I went to the Philippines, Laura and I actually got to see each other almost every day. Um, a man in our church there in Louisiana sent me with his iPad, and um, Laura and I would get to have conversations. That was amazing. But I wasn't here, and she wasn't there. As human beings, we are limited by something called time and something called space. But God is not limited with this. While I was in the Philippines, God was here with my wife. That was, how, how do we comprehend that? One old preacher said it this way. I read in a book last week, he was talking about the omnipresence of God. And he said, God has swallowed up the universe. It's all in him. That's why he's close to everything. The heaven of heavens cannot contain him. That was A.W. Tozer. He has swallowed up the universe. How can we be close to him? Because we're in him. I mean, he, he's everywhere. There's nowhere that he's not. The psalmist explains this in Psalm 139. Let's look over at Psalm 139. As we're turning to Psalm 139, it adds a little bit of comedy to the prophet Jonah and his understanding of God. He thought he could run from God. He thought he could hide from God. He found that God was on the oceans. He found that God was in the belly of a well. He found that God was in Nineveh. God couldn't be in Nineveh. Nineveh was too wicked, right? Amen? Nineveh was too wicked. There's no way God could be there. And he got to Nineveh and saw that God was already there. The psalmist says, David says in Psalm 139, let's begin at verse 7, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Where can I go to get away from the Holy Spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover thee, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. I think about uh, Mercy and Kristen there. If you're in Nigeria and you have a blackout and it's the middle of the night, that's freaky, you know, especially when you're in a strange place. Just remember, God can see in the dark. And then you don't have to be afraid because even though you can't see, God can see in the dark. That's something I've reminded myself of before when things got really dark in a place. God's presence is not hidden by the darkness. God is everywhere. You and I cannot escape him. A second truth about God's presence is that you and I as believers cannot be separated from him. Look in Romans chapter 8. Beautiful promises here in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 and verse 35 we read, 
Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. David had this understanding there was nowhere he could go and be away from God's presence. Paul had this understanding that there is nothing that could separate him from the love of Christ. So we understand God is omnipresent. We understand we can't be separated from him. But we also need to understand that we can be hindered from experiencing his presence. This is the case of a sinner. Isaiah 59, 1-3, God tells Israel, your sins have separated between you and your God. A sinner is eternally separated from God. A sinner is separated from God today. Yet we've already established the fact that God is everywhere. So if God is everywhere, and if the psalmist says, I could make my bed in hell, how can a man be separated from God and yet God be there? Isaiah 59. Let's actually read these verses. Isaiah 59, beginning at verse number one. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. It is not that God cannot save a sinner. It is not that God could have saved his children. Israel here, as Isaiah is saying, the problem wasn't God, the problem was them. It was their sin that had separated them from God. Verse 3, for your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies, your tongue hath muttered perverseness. It was not that the Lord was incapable of saving them, it was that their sin had separated them from God. A.W. Tozer said the reason we sense that God is remote is because there is a dissimilarity of moral character. Since God is omnipresent, the distance is that of character, not space. The reason why a sinner doesn't know the presence of God and is eternally separated from God is because of their sin. And while God may be present, their sins have not been forgiven, therefore God may as well be in another galaxy because they don't know him. There is no fellowship with him. That is the reason why we needed a savior that would be fully God and fully man, because he could take all of our sin upon himself. And the moment we get saved, we receive the righteousness of Christ, and suddenly that which seems so far away is so close. Because we are able to know Jesus Christ, or we are able to know the Father, rather, because we have Jesus Christ, who has paid for our sins on the cross. So it's our sin that makes us feel separate. A.W. Tozer went on to say, it is the heart that puts distance 
between us and God. But when our heart is dealt with, when our sin is dealt with, when our sin is forgiven, when our sin is washed away, when it is covered by the righteousness of Christ, we have a closeness with God. And it's the same exact thing for a believer. We have God. We have his indwelling Holy Spirit for all eternity. He's come to dwell with us forever, but the moment we allow sin in, the moment we start entertaining sin in our heart, suddenly the Holy Spirit seems so far away. The presence of God can seem so far away. And what we need to do is deal with our hearts. Now let's go back to earlier in this chapter and see this illustrated for a moment. And this is what struck me so last night. I finished writing out the sermon. I had finished my preparations. I thought I was done. And then I got to thinking about this verse again in the presence of God and what we see illustrated for us and our relationship with God. God was there the whole time. He moved himself outside the camp. But everyone still had access to him. It's interesting, when Moses and Joshua went in, everybody else stayed at their tent doors. They had a choice. Now, they worshiped. I'm sure they stood there with trembling. They're waiting to see what God's going to do. Is he going to kill us? Is he not? They had just had a whole bunch of funerals. They know the wrath of God. They have just seen it. And Moses goes in the camp. He's already said um, in verse number seven, I think it was, that anybody who's seeking the Lord could go out. Moses goes outside the camp. God was there the whole time. And I think that pictures for us what happens in our relationship with God when we sin. We feel like God has moved off somewhere distant. Yet he's still there, but there's something that's keeping us from getting to him. You ever feel that way? You're praying and it's like you're talking to the ceiling. Your prayers just aren't getting through. Why is God not hearing? Why is he not paying attention? Isaiah said it's not that he can't save. It's not that God has been somehow or another had his hands tied by us. But our sinful hearts cause that separation. That's why John told Christians in 1 John 1, 9, writing to believers, he said, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is a need for believers to recognize our sin, acknowledge our sin, because that sin, that sin is like the distance from the camp to the tent. And as soon as the sin is dealt with, God's back in the midst of the tent. And literally for us, it's not that God leaves us, but it's like there's this huge distance because of our sin, and if we will simply go to him, that distance will be wiped away. And we will experience the presence of God once again. I think it's interesting that it says in verse number 11 that Joshua went into the tent with Moses. And when Moses came out to talk to the people, Joshua stayed in the tent. Everybody else who had gone to seek God went in the tent, sought God, and went back to their own tent. Joshua got in the presence of God and he says, I'm going to stay right here. Folks, every one of us should be a Joshua. That we long to be in his presence. We long to be with him. Look what the reward of being in God's presence is. He said, my presence shall go with thee and I will give thee rest. 
The, the Hebrew word is nuach, and it means to rest, to sit down, to take a rest, to catch your breath, literally, is what that old Hebrew word means. It's the idea you're walking along, you're tired, you're hiking, and you get out of breath. Well, what do you need to do? Just give me a minute. Let me sit down. You sit down and, oh, okay, I can breathe again. Boy, that feels better. That's the word rest here. When we are in God's presence, we find rest. We're able to catch our breath spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and even sometimes physically, we are restored when we're spending time in God's presence. This week, I was reading my Bible, and as I've been reading, I, I've been reading through Leviticus this week, and one evening, um, things had gone crazy in the morning, and my quiet time had gotten interrupted, and um, that night, I was feeling discouraged. I was beginning to feel a little down, and um, physically and emotionally, just not good. Still, since um, recovering from COVID, I still get um, wore out pretty easily sometimes, and I was just feeling really down that night, not only physically, but emotionally. And I told Laura, I said, before I get my shower, I'm just going to sit down and read my Bible for a few minutes. I was reading in Leviticus. But I'm like, I'm not going to switch to Psalms. I'm not going to switch to Proverbs. I'm not going to switch to the Gospels. I'm going to stay right here where God told me to read. Because I knew that's where I was supposed to be reading right now. And I start reading and... I mean, it's Leviticus. Yeah, you, you know, you take this animal and you wring off his neck. I mean, that's the kind of stuff I'm reading. I'm already starting to feel depressed, and I'm reading about wringing necks, you know, and now you take the blood and you dip it here and you put it there, and I'm like, oh, I mean, I'm the kid who almost passed out when I had to skin a squirrel when I was little. So I'm not feeling real well, and I'm reading about all these animals getting killed, and I'm thinking, wow, imagine being a priest and that being your job every day. Wow all that blood, all the time. Because of what? Because of sin. But as I'm reading, then it gets to the leaders. If one of your leaders, talking about the spiritual leaders, and all that they had to do when they sinned. And the Lord just spoke to my heart. And I realized, as a spiritual leader in this church, when I sin, I don't have to go get an animal and put my hand on its head and confess my sin and bring it into the church, and slaughter it, and take its blood and put it on the four horns of the altar, because Jesus Christ has made my sacrifice already. He was tied to the horns of the altar. My sacrifice was made. My sins are forgiven. And when I sin, I come before him, and I confess my sin to him. That was my reading. And after two chapters, uh, Laura came back in the room, and I said, well, I'm going to go get a shower now. I said, physically, I still feel bad. But I said, emotionally and spiritually, I feel so energized. All of a sudden, there was all this energy in me. Why? I had found it in the presence of God. Where was the presence of God that night? In Leviticus, <laughs> reading about the sacrifices. Yet I was overwhelmed with the sacrifice that was made for me. Psalm 16 is the prophecies being made about Jesus' resurrection and ascension in verse number 11, talking about Jesus going back to the right hand of the Father. He says, in thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. There is pleasure, there is joy in spending time in God's presence, and there is rest. There is peace unbelievable. And as Moses was dealing with the children of Israel and going forward into the promised land, he was going to need a lot of rest. 
There was going to be plenty of times where he was going to need to stop and take a breath to be able to deal with the children of Israel. Had he done that and not struck that rock a second time, he would have entered into the promised land. But on that day, he didn't stop and spend time in God's presence. He got angry and he disobeyed God and he struck that rock. And we know the consequences of that. Moses realized how desperately he needed God's presence in verse 15 when it says, And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. Moses knew he was desperate for God's presence. He says there's no point in going if you don't go. Verse 16, look what he says about it further. He says, for wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not that thou goest with us? He says, this is the evidence that we are your people, the fact that you go with us. So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the earth. This is what separated the children of Israel from the rest of the world, from all the other nations. It was the fact that God was in their midst. They had the presence of God. God was with them. That made them different from everybody else, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. Folks, that's what makes a difference between you and I and a lost world is the fact that we have Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit. We have his indwelling presence. We have God with us. Isn't that what the the Egyptians said about Joseph? They recognized that the Lord was with him. The Spirit of God was on that man and in that man, and it made him different. So we need to be, while we have the indwelling permanent presence of God, we need to be constantly experiencing the presence of God. So we need to deal with whatever sin it is that hinders us and keeps us from constantly experiencing God's presence. So first, we had the prayer. Moses needed to hear from God. Secondly, we had the presence. Moses needed to experience God's presence on a continual basis. And then number three, we have the proclamation in verse number 17. And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing that thou hast spoken. I'm going to answer your prayer. Yes, he's answering that he's going to give him direction. He's going to let him hear from him. He's going to show him his way. But he's telling him, you are going to have my presence. I have answered Moses, but let's look further. Look what he says next. For thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. What a beautiful verse. I had a friend this week who was really discouraged, having a lot of problems in his um, home and with his family, and he felt very lonely. I had just read this verse that morning, and I was able to send him this verse and tell him, God knows you. God knows you by name. You may feel insignificant. You may feel unloved right now, but God knows you, and he loves you. What an amazing truth. What a precious promise that Moses had. He was at a point where he needed God's affirmation. 
He needed to hear from God. He needed to experience God's presence, and he needed God's affirmation. And what does God tell him? He said, you have found grace in my sight. Every time I read a verse like this, I'm amazed that there are people who still believe that grace is only a New Testament concept. I mean, it started in Genesis chapter 5, and Noah, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace. It was grace. <clears throat> it was his faith in the Lord. We find in Hebrews 11, it was the fact that he found grace in the eyes of the Lord that God imparted his grace to Noah that preserved Noah and his family. Here we have again a man in the Old Testament finding grace in the eyes of the Lord. It is grace is the only thing that can cause us to have God's favor. Grace is the only thing that can allow us a home in heaven. Grace is the only thing that will provide the Holy Spirit permanently indwelling us. Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. There was nothing Moses could do. Here Moses, the great lawgiver, there was nothing he could do to earn his salvation. There was nothing he could do to earn favor in God's eyes. Look where he's been. He's been spending time with God. He hasn't been doing great works. He hasn't been out keeping all the Ten Commandments. He's been in the tent talking to God, and God tells him, you have found grace in my sight. What an awesome thing it is to know the grace of God. Something that we totally don't deserve, yet <clears throat> the grace of God brings his favor on us. Not just now, but for all of eternity, we are able to enjoy the pleasure of God's presence to spend eternity with him in heaven because of grace. What a beautiful word. Secondly, look what he says. He says, you found grace in my sight. But what does grace bring? <clears throat> grace brings a personal relationship with God. Thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. Look at this phrase here, I know thee. In verse 13, we see that Moses wanted to know God, and that was important. But now God ident identifies <clears throat> that he knows Moses. It is not just enough for you and I to know who God is. We need to know him personally, and he needs to know us personally. If we don't have both, if we don't know God and God know us, we will be separated for all of eternity from God. Matthew chapter 7, <clears throat> let's look over there real quick. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom <clears throat> of heaven. So some people may pray, some people may be religious. They refer to God as their Lord or to Jesus as their Lord. But he said, not all of them will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? They had preached a whole lot of sermons. And in thy name have cast out devils? 
<clears throat> that's in a lot of power. And in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. What a sad thing it would be to live this whole life claiming to be serving God. It would be so sad to live this whole life very religious. And yet find out when you die that there was never a relationship with Jesus Christ. Oh, you called him Lord. You even had power over demons. And yet neither of those assured the fact that you were saved. Why? Because Jesus says, I didn't know you. Oh yeah, you did a lot of stuff, but I didn't know you. Look what God's telling Moses. I know you. What a beautiful contrast. From I never knew you to I know you. Every one of us need to have the Holy Spirit of God tell us that God knows us. Every time I sin and God deals with my sin and there's chastisement in my life, I can hear the Holy Spirit saying, now you know that God loves you. How did I know God loved me? Because I just got in so much trouble because a father chastens his child. So when there's consequences for my sin, I'm being reminded God loves me and he's trying, what's he trying to do? He's trying to get me back into the tent. He's trying to get me back into his presence, into perfect, beautiful fellowship with him. So every one of us that are saved, we have that inner witness of the Holy Spirit assuring to us that we are the children of God, that God knows us. And here Moses hears God say, not only have you found grace in my sight, but you have grace now and I know you. What did he say? I know you by name. This is an interesting statement. I know you by name. We might say it today, I know you on a first name basis. It's not Mr. Fezenden, it's Dell. I know you in a personal way. I know you well enough that I know your first name. God's saying, you're not just one of the children of Israel. You are Moses. I know you by name. Now, in, in the Old Testament times and even in New Testament times, there was a lot of special meaning associated to names. Um, I actually wrote out a couple of definitions I read in a couple Bible dictionaries. Unger's Bible Dictionary said that names generally express some personal characteristic. You know, the baby that got named because he was Harry, so he got a certain name. You know, today we might name the baby Harry. Um, but anyway, um, the baby that was red all over. You know, anyway, some personal characteristic. Something about them looked like something, reminded the parents of something. So he gets named a certain thing. She gets named a certain thing. Some incident connected with the birth. Um, Ichabod, he got named Ichabod because God had departed. Some hope or wish or prayer of the parent. And henceforth, the child embodied it. In other words, whatever that wish, that goal, that desire was that the parent had for the child, they named the child, giving them basically a lifetime prophecy to fulfill. It became part of who they were and their responsibility to live out that name. 
The Revel Bible Dictionary defines a name as a word or words by which a person is distinguished from other persons. This is significant here. God is saying, I know you by name. I'm not, no, I'm not talking about Joshua. I'm talking about you. I know you by name. In biblical times, names were more than mere labels. Many biblical names make statements about character. Revel goes on to say that actually the name was considered an extension or express expression of the person himself. God is saying, I know you, Moses, personally. Yes, you, Moses, as the name means in the original language, drawn out or drawn out of the water. I know you who was drawn out of the Nile. I know your story. I know your life. I know your experiences. I know who you are. Moses, the drawn out one, the one who will draw my people out of Egypt. I know you. I created you. I know you by name. What a beautiful, precious proclamation that Moses receives here. But it's interesting, this wasn't enough for Moses. And when you and I realize that we are saved, God has saved us, we know his grace. He knows us by name. He will never say, depart from me, I never knew you. We have a personal relationship with God. That should never be enough for any of us. Because the more we know God in his ways, the more we experience the rest and the joy of his presence, the more we understand his grace, the more we enjoy the affirmation of his fellowship, the more deeply we will desire to know him. Because what did Moses say next? Did he say, okay, great, I'm ready to go back now. I'll go do my job. I'll go lead the children of Israel. I'm going to go back to work. It wasn't enough. He had experienced God's presence, God's affirmation. God has just told him, I love you personally. I know you by name. What's his response? Verse 18, and he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. Give me more. You and I should never be satisfied when we're in our relationship with God. There should always be a longing for more. He satisfies my longings, yes, but the more my longings are satisfied, the more I don't just want my longings satisfied, I want him more of his relationship. And Moses said, show me thy glory. And he said, I will make, I encourage you, underline this verse, this part in your Bible. I will make all my goodness pass before thee. He didn't say, I'll show you my glory. He said, I'll make all my goodness pass before thee. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. And will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, thou canst not see my face. So even though he had been talking God face to face, he could not see him earlier in um, the preceding verse, uh, verse 11, actually. He said, thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me. And thou shalt stand upon a rock, and it shall come to pass, while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in a cliff of the rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I will take away mine hand, and thou shalt see my back parts. 
but my face shall not be seen. But I love verse 19 here as he's going to be hiding in this rock and as God's going to let him get a peek. He says, I will make all my goodness pass before thee. I just don't know that I could contain all of God's goodness coming before me. What an overwhelming thing to see how good God is to us. How kind, how gracious, how loving. We need more of God's presence in our lives. If you today here or online, you've not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you will never know fellowship with God. You will never be able to experience his presence. You'll spend an eternity of separation from him. But if you receive his grace now, if his Holy Spirit is prompting your heart and showing you your sin and your need for him, receive his grace today and enter into fellowship with him. Believers, maybe there's something in your life that you realize has been hindering you from experiencing God's presence like you should. Maybe you don't even know what that is. I challenge you to seek God. God, what is it in my heart that's keeping me from knowing you like I should know you? Maybe it's neglect. Maybe it's neglect of reading God's word. Maybe it's neglect of prayer. Maybe it's sin. Maybe there's pride in your heart. Maybe it's self-reliance that you think you can live this Christian life on your own. If you're feeling that way, you are not going to experience the presence of God because you don't think you need him. So whatever it is, maybe it's immorality. That is what you feel like has driven God out of your camp. And you need to cross that barrier, deal with that sin because your sin is separated from you, has separated you from God. So I challenge you, believer, to whatever that is that God shows you, to repent of that and begin experiencing God's presence in a deeper way today. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for our sins. He who was perfect, he who was sinless, he who was fully God, put on flesh. And Lord, we thank you, Jesus Christ, that you paid the penalty for our sin and have restored our fellowship with the Father. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone under the hearing of my voice that doesn't know you as their Savior, they would receive your grace today. Holy Spirit, that you would convict even harder of their sin and that they would come to know you. Lord, I pray that us as believers, that every one of us, Holy Spirit, that you would show us the sin that is hindering us from experiencing your presence and for seeing your goodness as we should. Lord, I thank you for loving us. Pray that you would develop in us a deeper desire to know you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.